Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Bellingham Covenant Church. My name is Phil, the lead pastor here, and uh, just so grateful that you are here today as we celebrate the resurrection. I want to welcome those who may be guests and visiting with family. I see some unfamiliar faces. Welcome to this place and to those joining us remotely. Glad you can be a part of this celebration together. I want you to imagine for a moment that you've received a letter in the mail from uh, what appears to be a legitimate legal firm. And you open this letter, and it's on this official-looking letterhead, and on this letter, it indicates that you are about to inherit a million dollars from a distant relative you did not know about. In response to a scenario like this, you would likely have some initial skepticism. We likely uh, have come across all kinds of scams, and so it would be right for us to be a bit hesitant to, uh, to really trust this. But since this hasn't come in the form of a robocall or an email from a Nigerian prince asking for your bank account information, it might be worth inquiring a little bit more before you throw out the letter, right? Be worth exploring what this letter is all about. Friends, I, I wonder if this illustrates some of the dynamics that are at play for us this morning. As we hear this story of resurrection, it likely evokes for some of us some hesitancy to fully trust this, maybe some skepticism. And I want to create some space to just name how that plays out in our life, but can I also invite you to look a little bit deeper with me this morning before we maybe move on too quickly? I want to help us explore how we can navigate skepticism, but also how we might cultivate faith in our lives. Indeed, the the resurrection upon first read feels beyond what we could hope or imagine. It speaks to some of the deep longings in our human heart. The resurrection story speaks of this hope of the possibility of life beyond death, that the reality of death might not be the end of our story, the, the, the story of resurrection also speaks to hope this side of heaven. It speaks of this promise, this possibility that the realities of evil and injustice in this world will not have the final say, that there will be a triumph over those forces that seem insurmountable, that seem to be winning. There is hope in the resurrection story of new creation, this idea that the God who created this world has now ushered in new creation, He has come to restore those places of brokenness, those places of decay. It is a beautiful story. And yet, perhaps in your heart today, while there is some longing there, there is this initial reflex of doubt, this hesitancy to hope. I want to speak into those places today. And if that's where you find yourself coming to this Easter Sunday, you are in good company. For this is where the first Easter began. The first Easter did not begin with triumph and certainty and hope. No, it began in a place of grief, a place of disorientation, and a place of doubt. We consider how the women come to this tomb. They come carrying these spices, anticipating an encounter with the dead Jesus. They are to anoint his body of how uh, N.T. Wright just reflects on this moment. The women obviously weren't expecting resurrection. They weren't going to the tomb saying to themselves, well, we've got our spices in case he's dead, but he's probably alive. They knew well enough 
that dead people remain dead. And so this first Easter takes place in a place of grief, a place of loss, a place of lament. And we notice how the disciples respond to their testimony. And it's said just very bluntly in verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Their words seemed to them like nonsense. Can we notice, friends, that these are the apostles here. These are the ones that Jesus has discipled for three years. He has taught them to anticipate this turn of events, and yet in this moment, they are so overcome with doubt that they write this off as a tale. It seemed to them like nonsense. And so I wonder how you come to this story today. And perhaps some of us, like these women, come in a place of grief and lament. We carry with us the remnants of sorrow and pain from this last year. We come hesitant to hope in the songs of triumph that we have sung. Friends, if that is where you come, you are welcome here. You are in the story. Easter belongs to you. Perhaps some of us come with hesitancy in our heart, with unresolved questions. Maybe you're just here with family. You're coming for the sake of tradition, for the sake of this annual rhythm of celebrating Easter. But in your heart of hearts, you're honestly just saying, it seems to me like nonsense. You are welcome here in that space. Easter belongs to you. Maybe some of us are religious insiders. We have been walking with Jesus for a number of years, and yet in our own hearts there is still some dissonance, some unresolved questions. We too are hesitant to hope. Maybe we have placed our hope in the power of resurrection, and yet we function as if it's all up to us. The symptom of that being a life marked by anxiety and fear, bearing the weight of the world on our shoulders. Friends, I want to speak into those places today. You belong in the story. Easter belongs to you as well. What I want to notice, friends, is somehow these disciples that began in a place of grief, began in a place of disorientation and doubt, cultivated faith. And these very disciples that wrote this tale off as nonsense were the very ones that would give their life for this message, that would spur on the early church. We, friends, are the beneficiaries of their faith and their courage as we worship that same Lord today. How did that shift happen for them? And how might that shift happen in our own hearts today? How do we navigate doubt? And how do we cultivate faith? I want to notice a few things about how this shift happens. I've been drawn to to Peter in this text, and we we see the shift from verse 11 to verse 12, and it says that Peter, though he is skeptical with the others, wants to inquire more. He finds faith, he cultivates faith by looking deeper. He's not ready to discard the story altogether. And so we read in verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, Bending over, he saw the strips of lying by themselves. Can we see in Peter perhaps a a step that we might be able to take in our navigating doubt, in our cultivating faith? Can I invite you to look a little bit deeper today? 
invite you into this process of inquiry. What this tells me, friends, is this, that Christian faith is not about just a blind leap, about just accepting things because someone told you so. Now, Peter needs more information, and he needs time. This is going to take a while for him to sort out these big questions, to work through the disorientation, but he is not satisfied with the initial conclusion that this is nonsense. And so he looks deeper. In the Gospel of John, this verb to look, when it's described with Peter, is a, a strong word. It's not just this word, Greek word blepo, to see. It's this word theria, which is translated this intent gazing. It, it implies thinking through deeply, theorizing, looking for some answers. Maybe that is a step that some of you may need to take in this season of your faith journey to look into the matter. Now, there has been much written and much argued about the significance of this story, and I'm not going to go into all the, the arguments for that. I'd invite you to explore that. One book that I found really helpful in my study this week is N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope, and he just reflects deeply on the ways this seems much bigger than just a fable or a tale. There is much that is compelling when we look deeper. But there's one, one thing I do want to lift up for you, one thing that has caused me to affirm that this must, must be something more than just a mere fable. And what's compelling to me is to see how the early church caught on fire in the ancient world and how these disciples who began in doubt acted with great courage risking their very life for this message. The philosopher Blaise Pascal once said, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. We see in the story that something significant happened for these disciples, that they were willing to die for this message, that this worldview-shattering turn of events caught on in the ancient world. Now, there were many messianic pretenders, those who claimed to be the Messiah, and the movements rose and fell with the, the death of the founder. But when the death of Christianity died, the movement continued, and it spread like wildfire through the world, and it has spread into our day and age today. There's a Japanese writer uh, named... Shusaku Endo just had a really compelling thought that I, I lift up for you today as we inquire, as we look deeper, and he writes this, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you will be forced to believe that something hit the disciples that was every bit as amazing, maybe different, yet of equal force in its electrifying intensity. For if we try to explain the changed lives of the early Christians, you will find yourselves making leaps of faith as great as if you had believed in the resurrection to start with. Can I invite you to inquire, to look deeper as we try and make sense of this story as we work through our doubt? But friends, there is more to this journey than just trying to process this at a rational level. I notice that Peter moves on from just looking into the matter to wondering. He begins to wonder. And so verse 12 goes on and says this. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now this word for wonder is a big word. And sometimes this word can be translated to marvel, 
to be astonished. It shows up throughout the gospel whenever Jesus does something or says something that doesn't fit people's existing paradigms. It invites them to look beyond what they had expected to be true and to to reconfigure their entire worldview. You see, the problem with just a purely rationalistic approach to this conversation is that what we end up doing is we end up cramming God and the miraculous into our limited human paradigms. But friends, to use a biblical metaphor, this is like putting new wine and old wineskins. It doesn't fit. It breaks those expectations, those limited perspectives by which we try and contain God. So we must move beyond inquiry into wonder into this place of amazement where we rethink what's even plausible, where we reconfigure our worldview that is big enough to make sense of these new realities. N.T. Wright shares a metaphor that I think helps speak to uh, to this reframing of our worldview. Again, he imagines that you were gifted a priceless piece of art, this large painting that is worth millions of dollars. And the problem is that this this painting is so worthwhile that you want to make room for it in your house, but it is so big that it doesn't fit in your existing structure. But because it is so worthwhile, it is so worth building into your residence, you actually need to deconstruct the whole building and build something bigger to make room for it. (laughs) I think that's what happens, needs to happen in our faith formation, that we need to move beyond just some of the limited, secular, naturalistic explanations of things and make room for the transcendent, make room for wonder. Can I invite you into that humble posture today? You know, I think that this reconfiguring of our worldview has been happening for a number of years in our culture that the consensus that we can just understand everything within this imminent secular natural frame doesn't seem big enough for our world. This is playing out in our own state, in our own country, outside the walls of our church. In the Pew uh, Forum's religious landscape study from just a couple years ago, noted this about our state, just our neighborhood here, friends, in Washington, one of the more secular states in the country, that 77% of Washingtonians claim to be either certain or fairly certain that they believe in God. That there is something beyond just the, the natural order that is beckoning them to look deeper, to make room for a bigger worldview. And then note this, 65% say they feel a sense of wonder about the universe at least once or twice a month. As we look upon this miraculous world, there's a sense of awe and amazement. Is there something more out there? Do I need to actually change my categories, open my heart to bigger realities? You know, friends, as I think about the miracle and the possibility of resurrection, I actually think that it is not as big a stretch as we initially think. And I think that Uh, We all only really need to begin by looking upon the miracle of this creation. As we look upon this world that, that points in our hearts to something bigger, what resurrection is simply saying is that once again that miracle will happen. 
that the God who made us is a God who will mend us, a God who out of nothing called us into being, promises that one life is not enough, and he will call us into a new realm of being, into a new realm of hope. Friends, can you trace that sense of wonder in your own experience? That sense that there perhaps is something bigger than just atoms and molecules running around? Do you have a longing for justice? a longing for goodness in this world? Do you have a desire for love? Does that, friends, not point us beyond just this imminent secular frame into the transcendent? Can we be open this Easter to marvel and wonder at the reality that there's more than we can just see or fathom? And so we move as we seek to cultivate faith through inquiry, through wonder. But there is yet another element to faith formation that I want to end with, that I want to notice in this text. What I see in these disciples that begin in a place of grief, in a place of doubt, are transformed not simply through rationalization and through thinking things through, but through an encounter with the living God a relational encounter with the living God. Friends, Easter is not just a fact of something that happened, but we believe it is a living reality that this God that we encounter is not just an idea for us to figure out, but a person, a being that we relate to. And this is how the rest of Luke 24 plays out. After this scene the resurrected Christ meets the two men on the road to Emmaus. And he begins to explain and try and connect the dots for them of what has happened. And then we read this at the end of the story. When he was at the table with them, Jesus, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us. Can we notice that their eyes of faith were opened as they sat around a table, as they heard the word proclaimed? It was in the contents, context of the practicing of faith, of living in a community where the word is proclaimed and the sacraments are administered, that eyes are opened. Friends, we relate to God not just as this distant intellectual idea, but as Carl Rayner has said, and I've shared this before, knowing God is more important than knowing about God. We believe that God is alive and well, and we can learn and encounter and cultivate faith through the practice of faith. I think about how Julie and I came to know one another. It was a relational knowing. I didn't just have Julie send me a 10-page report about basic facts about her for me to evaluate and think, do I want to, you know, commit to this relationship? It was as we stepped into relationship that we got to know one another. We learn through encounter and through the practice of faith. The traditional definition of theology is faith-seeking understanding, and I think we often flip that. We think it's understanding-seeking faith. I've got to get it all figured out, and then I will step into it. But maybe we need to flip that around, and it's as I step into community, as I stand under the Word, as I begin to practice the rhythms and the practices of faith, that understanding might emerge as I encounter the living God.
Maybe the invitation for some of us today is to take that step into the practice of faith and discover where God might meet you in that journey. I want to end just by sharing a little bit of my story. I've shared this with some of you that have been around here. But I I have a a deep empathy and heart for the skeptics and the doubters among us, because that was a big part of my faith journey, particularly in that early uh, season of college. My first year of college, I was reeling from my first real encounter with tragedy and death trying to make sense of suffering. And my world was being deconstructed by the study of philosophy and literature. All these new things were coming at me. And maybe that's been part of your story, that the faith of your childhood was strained as you headed off to college. And as I was trying to put things back together, as I was trying to make sense of all this disorientation, my first attempt was, step one was inquiry. And it was an important part of the journey as I was trying to just wrestle and make sense of it. And so it was me trying to find my way out of the darkness in the library with books. And again, that was a significant part of the journey. And this isn't an either-or thing. It's a both-and. All these parts have uh, come together to cultivate faith. But there was a turning point moment that came in the form of a phone call. It was uh, a former pastor of mine named Ron, a pastor that baptized me when I was younger. And he reached out and invited me to, to head out uh, to go for coffee with him. And he let me know that he was part of this church plant and he was interested in seeing if I wanted to be part of some of the leadership with music. I was a musician in that time. And I reached out to Ron and I said, Ron, I gotta be honest with you, I'm just so full of questions. I'm just so disoriented in my faith right now. And he said something that proved to be a turning point in my life. With great grace, he offered me this spaciousness to enter back into Christian community, doubts and all. And he said something to me that was very formative. He said, Phil, if you have tossed your faith, then you probably shouldn't enter into leadership in a church. I thought that was probably a good point. But he said to me, Phil, I see that you are deeply seeking God, and maybe the way that your faith will grow will be as you, when you step back into the community of faith, when you step into that place where the word is proclaimed, where the sacraments are given, for it is in the practice of faith, in the engagement in the rhythms of spiritual practice that we encounter God. And I was so grateful that he extended that space to me. Because as I step back into the community of faith, faith was awakened in my heart, and God became much more than just a concept, but a very living presence. And so, friend, I want to extend that same space to you, that faith isn't devoid of questions and doubt, that you are welcomed into this journey. But I wonder if this Easter as we seek to navigate our questions, as we seek to cultivate faith, if God is calling you to step into that place where the word is proclaimed, to step into community, I wonder if God is even at work, even in our midst now, as we listen to the word, as we hear these songs, as we gather for worship. At the end of the day, I've been thinking about this all week, but I just come in with not much today, I just stand like the women at the tomb 
And I lift up this testimony of faith, friends, that I have entrusted my life into a God who I believe is risen. And I simply trust that the power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise within us faith that God might be at work even in our midst here and now. Friends, I proclaim to you that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, I pray that we might be attentive in our hearts to the way our hearts might be stirring, the way your spirit might be at work calling us into hope, calling us into faith. And I pray for those, Lord, today who maybe are even sensing that invitation to to take that step of faith, to call upon you. Lord, that you would meet them in that. Lord, we thank you that your scripture says that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. If we acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior, you will enter in. You will lead us into faith and into salvation. So, Lord, would you continue to be at work in our midst as we worship you, as we celebrate your resurrection. May the power that raised Jesus from the dead be at work here, raising faith and hope within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.